0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I am Ronan Gain. Joining me, as always, Chris Nambu. Look at this—we're finally recording in the tame zi- t- same time zone and the same country. It's
1: it, are we it, still speaking it, the same you know, language, go. though? I'm not sure.
0: Fast enough, yeah, but yeah, yeah. we'll get there. Right? We gotta, we gotta mix things up now. You know, then now I've I've changed cities, so now we gotta gotta change the languages too. We will we'll get it all mixed up. Uh, we've got a fun podcast today. We're going to be discussing a bit on. Uh, on Point Guards, we heard Damian Lillard talking this week about he thinks of himself as the best once he's out on that court. And Steph Curry has also labelled himself the best this offseason. We'll have a little discussion on that. We'll be heading over to the throwback corner to talk a little bit about Phil Jackson, the greatest coach of all time. We'll see how that goes. Then to finish off with a little Ronin Top 5 list and the tier list from last, uh, last ep that we didn't get to. That's going to be a lot of fun. Before we get into it, though, Chris, how you doing, man?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm hanging on by a thread, uh, just like your Wi-Fi connection. So a little a little uh, disclaimer, if we have any cutouts, we are starting from square one, recording from, uh, from a hotspot. But uh, right now, I'm, I'm at the end of uh, my rotation here. It's getting a little busy. I know you've been busy moving over to New York, so we, we're both uh, busy parts of the year. Opposite from what we're seeing in the NBA, so it would be good to just take a break here. Talk some randomness about point guards, talk some cool stuff about Phil. So I'm looking forward to it, man. How are you doing? Settling in. Look at you. You have a painting. Is there a painting on the wall back there? Yeah. So,
0: yeah it's a, it's little little little, a, little, okay. a little surprising for me. Okay. A little different, different bit of background. It's still very white, though. So I didn't want to change too much. You know, I got
1: <laughs> Different than a bare wall. I'm liking it already. It's there we change. go.
0: It's a change up, and it'll only get better from here. Believe me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm doing good. I've I've got adjusted to the to the time switch and things like that. So now I'm ready to ready to blow off a bit of steam, talk a bit of basketball here. We'll start straight into it. The point guards, Damien Lillard, this week speaking and about himself, talking about how he believes that he is the best point guard in the league. When he's out in that court, there's no one better than him where where do you what do you what do you take from that what do you what do you think about that when you think of a point guard would you think Damian litter and you think he's he's the best is that would that would that well, be i will your say thoughts?
1: this when he was when he had his uh 32 point per game season um, uh, i want to say it was it was right before the bubble um and he was just he i think a lot of people were comparing him to steph and like so i i think that there there was definitely a point a quick point in time where that was a legitimate question. I think where the Blazers have gone, obviously it's not gone his way, but he's there. He's there. He's never had the same structure as Steph has had. He's never had the same, um, you know, maybe you could argue that a guy like Chris Paul has done more on his own, depending on the team. Um, A more traditional point guard like him has been able to be the best point guard in the league at times because he's a traditional point guard. But Dame as that dynamic scoring guard, like he's, He has an argument to make for himself, although I I will say that, you know, Steph has proven it, too, when the Warriors were down bad without anybody for the past couple of years before they got themselves back in order. He had an MVP type year without anybody around him. So I I think I still got to say that Steph is the best point guard in the league still right now. But I think more interesting question now is, you know, if if I get that out of the way, is how close is a guy like Shea? How close is a guy like uh, Luca? You know, how close um, is a guy like Ja?
0: yeah shay shay's the interesting one like i i don't like i wouldn't in my mind i wouldn't picture shay as a as a point guard maybe just not a traditional one i would just like when i think of his game i think of him as being a bit more of, of a two guard kind of similar to when you think of like a kyrie irving or someone like that but it's it's definitely an interesting conversation like Luke is the one that you think is the one who's right on the cusp of kind of breaking into that that best in the league sort of uh, Sort of realm. He's the one that we kind of were waiting on him to do it because as like the likes of Dame and and Steph get get up there in age and and kind of move into the last few years of the career, is it time for Luca to take that that step now? But Shay is definitely one then that sneaks in because even like in terms of like his style of play and, and his control of the game, like it's similar enough to what you see from a from a guy like Damian later. But I don't know. Just so far in my mind, I, I would think of him more as the two guard, even though I know he's playing the point in OKC.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean, and it's just based on like um, facilitating. And I think Shea is traditionally a combo guard, especially what we've seen with him. You know, um, as a young player coming up with with Chris Paul and and Dennis Schroeder, what he's able to do um, playing off ball and such. But I, I think his versatility doesn't go against him necessarily. I think he's. I think that's what makes him potentially a better player than Dame next year. Is that versatility um, and his ability defensively as well. I think that's one thing that's gonna set Shea apart from Luca and Dame is is his defensive ability. If he can keep being a productive defensive player, if he can continue to be um, great on ball, you know, getting steals, you know, really be using his size to his advantage. And that's something that Dame's never been able to do. And that's something that Luca has not been able to take advantage of his size because he's never been in shape for a full year to really to really use it. Um, and I think too, Luka as, as a rebounder has an argument to be made there, what he can do in the low post. Uh, and what he can do against smaller guards, that's something that Dame can't do. So I think Dame is is solidly in that conversation, but he's not alone. He's not alone. And I think it's interesting when you talk about Shea too, because Curry is this um, off-ball machine. Like when he has the ball in his hands and he's doing pick and roll, like he's one of the best pick and roll players in the world. So that's not to say he can't do it, but he just he plays at such a different level, different way, different flavor that when we talk about, like, what's the best point guard, what's what's the most important uh, attributes for a point guard to have. I mean, if you just go down the list, like, there's not a lot of guys who are just, like, a traditional point guard. Like, you don't really have that anymore. Like, if you're just going down by PER, like, Luca, very different. Shea, very different. Lillard, different. Curry, different. Tyrese, like, I think Halbert has a little bit more of that traditional point guard, vibe to him. Ja, just like like a, a D-Rose type incredibly athletic he's using his athleticism to get to the rim and creating off of that but not really that pure tactical point guard trey maybe he's a little bit more like that but he's he's mostly looking for his shot kyrie same thing darren fox kind of said like there's nobody really in the best like chris ball is kind of like a he's a relic at this point when you talk about the best point guards of the league so it's interesting like when you think about like who is quote unquote quote unquote the best at being a traditional point guard I don't think any of those guys are in a top 10 for point guards at all anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's probably fair. I think, yeah. I, I like the you mentioned Halliburton. I think he's kind of the guy that I look at as being like a traditional point guard, mm-hmm. the one that I look at and think, Oh, like he is the legit point guard. He's the guy who controls the game. He's got good size. He's got good length and uh good, good IQ, obviously. And he, and, and, it, Especially his addition to the modern game, he's got a he's got a really solid, efficient three point shot. And I think that's a that's a, a big plus for for uh, the modern day point guard, especially when you can get into a situation where you can like fake a pass and pull a step back and hit a three, which he can do. That's a that's an important aspect. That's why i, I look at him as obviously I'm not gonna say he's better than, than Curry or Dame or, or Luca, but in terms of a traditional point guard, I think he's is a guy that really fits that mold, especially for the modern day when you look at like the the most important kind of skills that you'd want in your point guard. I'd always look kind of size IQ and passing. And then in the modern day, you had that efficient three point shooting as well. And that's, that's Tyrese Aliburton all over.
1: Yeah. It's, it seems like having a point guard is kind of an afterthought when, when you're thinking about, you know, having a wing, when you have a point guard, he's like a complimentary piece. And some of the best teams uh, in the last decade have had more so complementary shooting point guards. And that's what you've seen alongside LeBron. Um, and the, and the way that you've seen golden state use point guards these, these they've been shooters and they've they've had playmaking from guys like Draymond Green from Iguodala. Um, and it's it's interesting that the way that the game is played today there's it's positionless and you can get playmaking from your center the Denver Nuggets have a guy Giannis is a guy how often is everything going through guys like Embiid how often is uh, everything going through guys like Jason Tatum where guys like Green uh, Green. I was I was called Derek White Green. It, it never leaves me. That that never leaves me. But him and Brogdon, um, it It's interesting to see that you know that that point guard. If you were to watch basketball in the eighties, nineties, even the early two thousands, like what was expected from that position is very different now. It feels like um, obviously that that's a kind of is a throwback to what you saw from Kobe, what you saw from MJ, um, and. You got your Steve Kerr's, you got your Derek Fisher's, you got point guards that are more contributing to the way they stretch the floor and the way they're just going to control the game um, as a secondary playmaker. But yeah, all the, all these guys that are at our point guards, Um, I I look, I look at it in, in the way that just going back to Dame here, um, who do I want to control the game the most out of any of these players? And I think that, I think that I would take Luka if if I'm, if I'm being honest, like when it, when it comes to the offensive end of the floor, I, I think Luka has the best processing speed of anyone in the league, except for LeBron, like him, him and LeBron are on the same level in terms of processing. What I mean by that is, you know, no matter where they on the floor, what play that they're running, they're making the right pass. The second it's there, not mm-hmm. even the second that they're seeing it before it happens. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you see at times, but Luca does that all the time. It's like, it's, it's all game long. He's always, he's always making the right play. And I feel like that's a little bit different from what Dane brings, which is, you know, he's an aggressive scorer and he's, he's going to shoot the lights out and he's a lot more dynamic as a, as a three level scorer than, than Luca is at times. Um, even then, than than Shay is because he doesn't have that same level as a three point shooter. But I think that's what sets Luca apart. And if we're just going to talk honestly about who's the, Real, true, best point guard in the league, and you're talking just about the passing, the IQ, and all that. I would say I would, I would still stick with Luca. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that I think that's fair. And then the final question, and then does Luca win MVP this year?
1: That's that. It just comes down to the maps, honestly. It, it comes down to the maps. It, like we'll, we'll see what we get out of Luca this, this season. We're, we're not gonna pretend like some Instagram photos and. Some showing out in the uh, FIBA World Cup are enough to convince us because we say that every year. But it takes his defense um being a just not being horrible in the effort. You can't I, I think it would be it would be pretty damning for me if Luca comes out again this year and it's just poor effort. Another year of poor effort would tell me that this is just who he's gonna be. And it doesn't matter who else you put on this team because the Mavs need to be good in order for him to win MVP. That that's what it is. Because he's already he's already an MVP level player, but the effort needs to be there and the the team success has to be there. And the defense is gonna have to step up, and he needs to be at least a not take away from what they're gonna do on that end of the floor.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I I think that's fair. Well, that's an interesting interesting thought to close, to close out that conversation. But uh, yeah, definitely keep an eye on the. We'll be always like we always say. Well, we always keep an eye on Luke and the Mavs, but let's see what, like you said, can the defense step up? Even just like you said, just be there. Be wanting, be wanting to be a defender when when you're on that end of the floor. That's 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 a very minimal thing, but it's actually important when uh, when it comes to Luka Doncic. But uh, switching over over to the throwback corner. Been been a few weeks since we've been there, but there's one guy I I think needs needs to be mentioned here, and it's. A guy that's kind of forgotten about because of uh, his last endeavor in the NBA was such a disaster in the head office of the New York Knicks that uh, people have kind of forgotten uh, about uh, what he did as a coach and the elite, elite level that he was at for, what, 15, nearly 20 years? Phil Jackson, the, the winningest and, in my opinion, the best coach of all time.
1: I, so he's got 13 rings to say the least. And then who else, who else has 13 rings? Two as a player, 11 as a coach. Coach two, the greatest of all time. Um, when you mention the Knicks though, it immediately brings a question to my head. Um, Cause we're going to talk about all the positives and I think it's cool to ruminate on all the cool things that he's done. But I feel like his time in the Knicks really, not just like kind of sours that, like in your recent memory of who Phil Jackson is um, in the face of the NBA, but kind of what we feel like we've learned he stands for. Because it, it, it felt like in New York, a lot of it was about stubbornness of his philosophy and his ego and how he wanted the team to be and, and not really and how that just clashed with Melo and, and the team in general. Like, you, you probably have a better sense of it than I do. But, like, how, how, what is, what was your perception if you're just thinking about his time in the Knicks? It's just,
0: it's just the, the simple thing. Like, like not, not everyone can do can do it all. Like Phil Jackson was an elite the the best coach that you could get, but when you get into the position of more power and you're making more important decisions and and it's a kind of a broader spec, sometimes you just can't do it and unfortunately he was probably thinking of how great he was as a coach and and thinking that he'd be able to slide in seamlessly to that those sort of roles like similar like to a to a Pat Riley sort of a uh, sort of vibe there, but unfortunately it just doesn't always come together like that and when you've had the success that you had, you're gonna you're gonna stay stubborn, and unfortunately, that's gonna that's gonna road the wrong way if, if things aren't going well. And that that's ultimately the way that it that it worked out. It was as things got worse, I think he probably got more stubborn and and was less willing to to, to wriggle, and then it eventually just blew up, and it just looked like a complete disaster.
1: Yeah, which which is in stark contrast to his history with the Lakers, his history with the Bulls, and. I spent some time just like, uh, you know, who, who better to know his impact on those teams and the players he coached, you know, just listening to interviews from Kobe, from MJ, from Rodman, from Kerr, um, from Pippen, um, from Laker staff. And it, it's the, it's very obvious to see that everyone who studied his philosophy is that a lot of it is about, um, you know, where he comes from and, and what he believes in, in terms of um, understanding others, in terms of having empathy in terms of like promoting, um, a peaceful environment to, to learn. And, you know, just, just like, it's oddly, it's odd that, you know, you have these two vicious competitors really that, that are the face of Phil Jackson's legacy, but the underlying message that he imparted to them was like learning was like respecting your opponent was, um, kind of like this, this that came from his like Zen Buddhist, um, background. And, that that's interesting to me because you you see you see like a competitor like that and it's almost like Phil Jackson was the necessary component to calm that down and to to take a deeper look. I mean Kobe talked about how um, he learned spirituality and mindfulness of the game and how like to quiet his ego and that that's a similar kind of thing that that Jordan talked about as well. Both both those guys cut from very similar cloth and. I think you you don't see that very often in in the league where you have such um you have such contrasting characters in terms of a coach and a player and it works out usually like if they're if they're clashing like that it doesn't and then the coach is gone very few times where you see such a successful relationship so I think it's cool to see to to really think about it and how that he was the perfect kind of guy to guide them um, just as like people fundamentals yeah. and yeah. their their mentality.
0: Absolutely, and I like you. You you see the way that obviously I I, I like read his, read his biography and like I've seen like his flips in the last dance so, like the, the things that he's trying to get the teams to do like the the uh all the stuff like the Zen Buddhism stuff and, and different things like that and and you're thinking like this guy is a complete whack job it's like how like and the fact that he was able to convince these guys to to buy in. Maybe you could just say, oh, he only had to convince a Kobe or an MJ and the rest would just follow in. Even even at that that level, like to be able to convince those guys to buy into that side of it and and it works so successfully over such a long period. Like it's it's really impressive. And he's a very impressive person. I'd recommend anyone to to read his book because it's really interesting to get an insight into into his life and into his uh into his beliefs because the way it brought success to the Chicago Bulls and to the Los Angeles Lakers was just at a level that we've never seen. I mean, you forget that MJ and Kobe, zero zero rings without Phil Jackson. They had a combined three conference finals appearances without without Phil Jackson, won just a total of eight playoff series. Like, he was a ginormous part of their success, and it's never really talked about enough. Like, without Phil Jackson, neither of those two guys won anything.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's fair too to, to look at it the opposite way, too, that, that those that was like the perfect pairing, those two guys with Phil Jackson, because what did Phil Jackson do as a coach without them? Um that that's those are his only two major stints. I I, I don't he yeah, didn't coach, you coach for any other teams. No. Nope. So that that that's it. I mean, um, two great situations to be in as a coach.
0: Earn you earned that right though. You earned the right to coach the
1: best. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think I mean, just, just to preach on that idea a little bit, I, I think that just goes to show just not even just basketball, but in life too, like when you have different perspectives, when you have different ways of approaching things, like Kobe and MJ are guys who just want to run through a wall and they needed somebody like him to to be, you know, the to stick on the Buddhism thing, like the yin to their yang, the, just like the complete opposite in a way. And if you just have, if you don't have the the right collection of perspectives in the same room, then maybe you don't achieve the the ultimate goal. And I think it's a perfect example of that. And I, I think shout out to like, if, if you've, if you watched the last dance, if you've read the biography, if you've looked into these teams, I, I actually didn't know that that Tex winner, not only was a part of the bulls, but he actually was, was recruited over to the Lakers as well. I didn't know that he actually, uh he followed Phil to the Lakers um and coached Kobe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very forgotten about when you hear Phil Jackson, like the first thing you think about in terms of X's and O's is, Fill in the blank, triangle offense. And that's all Tex winner. Like all that, that, that whole philosophy is all Tex winner. Um, and he doesn't get enough credit for, for what he did on um, both those teams. And I, I think, I, I don't know, I don't know, you know, if, if this is, you know, being a little too reductionist, thinking about like what, what exactly these guys were, were good at or not good at. But if, if a lot of the X's and O's really came from Tex winner, um, how much of Phil Jackson's influence is more so fundamentals and philosophy and, you know, without text winner and just kind of applying um, the strategy to the Knicks. If if it was just, you know, not, not really thought through like his philosophy was there, but maybe the, that wasn't the correct sort of system to impart. And that's kind of what led to the, to the downfall. Cause they, they just tried to, you know, just bring that offense to the Knicks. And I don't think there was that system was there that was not, they were not built for that really
0: yeah yeah i think obviously it's it's you buy into you buy into to winning and then you can buy into that system like this is a guy that obviously when you saw when he first joined uh, the lakers like he he got Shaq to come out and meet him out out in his uh out basically was like a swamp where he was basically living in there out there and a little out house out there fishing and everything got Shaq to come out and and see if he was going to be willing to to run through a wall for and basically be willing to just focus on basketball, just focus on winning and see if he was willing to to make that move. Because he knew like, this Phil Jackson, he only knew that unless Shaq was there to buy in, he was ready to do it all to win. There was going to be no way of having success with that team. Obviously, Shaq convinced him. And then he comes in, they go and do the do a three-peat. I mean, he had three three three-peats during his career as a coach. Like it's just it's it's crazy to think of. And fifty-five wins in sixteen or twenty seasons, and only one coach of a year that kind of crazy yeah
1: that that is that is crazy thing, and I, I think great like great coaches who coach great players in that time are not recognized as much mm. and I, I think you can say the same about with some coaches these days I, I think steve Kerr, for just to put an example does get a lot of credit mm-hmm. gets a lot of credit for for what he's done with the warriors um I, I think a guy like spoelstra before was not getting any credit um for what he did with uh with lebron and wade And now we're giving him credit now because we've seen him do it for a sustained amount of time. Um, And it's, it's, it is interesting to see that because, because Nick Nurse, for example, gets, gets more, got more credit because of what he did with, with a a younger team. And then in one year being able to win a championship, I guess you give a look, you give obvious credit to to Greg Popovich because he had teams that, that played in such a like fantastic way together. And it was obvious that it was system-based. It wasn't, it wasn't just you throw Kobe or MJ out there, but I think as a as a leader, even if it just doesn't come down to X's and was just to break down into who he is as a person, it was, it was fascinating to to learn more about it and really see like, you know, what it takes to to lead such like unbelievable characters like yeah. Jordan and and Kobe. I, I think to think about it that way, like to to have an impact and have an influence and be a true leader to guys who are who are geniuses like basketball geniuses, not, not just like athletic talent, like as, as people they're, they're, they're fiends. They, that's, this is all they care about. Um, Like it's, it's trying to teach like a, an Einstein, like to, to be passionate about physics. Like they're so, and I think that's what's really interesting with not just uh learning about uh, Phil Jackson, but listening to how Kobe talked about the game too and talked about Phil Jackson and how he wanted to learn. He's just like, he's a maniac. He was a maniac and, and to be a leader of a guy like that, like that's, that takes a lot. Uh, And it teaches us a lot too.
0: Yeah, no, that's the big thing about leadership. Obviously, like you mentioned, like Tex Winner, like he, it was his, maybe it was his like, ideas about actually how the team would play. But Phil Jackson was the one in charge. He was managing the personalities. He was getting the guys to, to buy into this and, and believe in this and, and to really come together as the group. And that's why. Not all, not all people are are made to be leaders. Not not every like great coach can be like a great manager or or be great in in, in the front office. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. You have to have the right elements of your personality. And obviously, Phil Jackson did it in such an amazing way that he was able to to really get these these fiends and these guys that absolutely had the power if they wanted to any, at any moment to have got him got him fired. But that never happened because they always believed in what he was preaching. Like I mean, MJ was willing to retire once the once the Bulls weren't going to bring Phil Jackson back. Like that's that's the buy-in that uh that he had there, and I'm sure Kobe would have been on the similar level. Like obviously, when Phil Jackson left the first time, then they had that couple of years, and then they they had to get him back. And Kobe knew they needed him back, and then they were able to win again. That's just the way that it was. The the impact that he had on their careers, it can't be understated. And his impact across the NBA is something that uh will will last forever.
1: Yeah. And it's, it, I think one last thing I want to think about that is, is, uh, you know, the amount of characters that he had to manage, like, especially with the Bulls, like managing and, and, and with the Lakers, managing Kobe and Shaq, like such massive personalities and, and managing Dennis Rodman, mm-hmm. managing, um, Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan, like the guys who, you know, probably in any other environment under any other leader probably wouldn't have made it that long together, probably would not have. And you look across the league today and, and how many players, how many teams don't stick together because it's, it's all up to the players, right? It's like, and it's almost up to like the the management to be like, okay, we need to make sure we get people in here that they they play nice and they do well together and, and all that. But it's, it's rare to see, you know, a coach that has that, that influence and that, that um, structure to be able to corral those, sorts of personalities and get people to unite under a common goal like we don't we don't always see that and there's always talk on on all the great teams across the league of you know if if people are getting along and it's and we always blame the coaching for for uh they're not being enough harmony but maybe it is true it's like that takes really a truly great leader for for guys who really wouldn't work well together but have the talent to to buy in and that's i think that's that's impressive in itself
0: yeah, maybe that's like, it, it's always interesting to see, especially in the days of these days of the super teams and everything like that. Yeah. If there, there was a coach like a Phil Jackson, even if someone like a Steve Kerr or Greg Popovich had the opportunity to be coaching a super team, it'd be interesting to see if it, it actually could, he, they the, that type of personality would be able to make it work. Well, obviously we've seen it uh, fail mo- for, for the, for the most part when when the super teams get built, but uh, it's definitely a uh, interesting, it's, it's a dying breed of the, the element of of Phil, of Phil Jackson
1: so if if you have Phil Jackson, you threw him on the nets in year one of Harden, Kyrie, and Durant. Would Phil Jackson have used his his uh, Buddhist magic and uh, Native American ceremony roots? would that have all fixed that? And actually, I mean, it, it is it is interesting. I uh, who you would have if we're putting this hypothetical together for real. how he would have related to Kyrie on that level because I know Kyrie uh, really is involved with his uh, his Native American roots. But could a guy like Phil Jackson, could he have kept them together, kept them together in on one team?
0: I'd I'd like to think he could. Maybe maybe yeah. not the element of just Kyrie's that extra bit of craziness to hold COVID and that sort of thing. I don't know what Phil Jackson's uh, idea. sounds COVID, been, but, for just yeah. taking COVID out of the
1: equation.
0: And like and Harden being the way that he is as well. But I, I think if you're the way he was able to do it before, the personalities he had to manage were at the highest level of of difficulty, and he was able to do it. So yeah, I think he could I think he could have made something work there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um that's the right, mistake that's you that.
0: made, Brooklyn. You didn't get Phil Jackson to become <laughs> coach, so That was your problem.
1: Yeah, and so they they brought in a, a first-time head coach that had never managed other personalities before, so.
0: Genius. Should have brought Phil Jackson in, but cut it out there, good Phil Jackson, the GOAT, the personality, get, get to know him. It's not just all about the winning. There's a lot more that comes into it, and uh, if you're looking for For a new book, Phil Jackson's book, The The Eleven Rings, it it really is a great read because you really get an insight into everything that that made him the success that he was. So now, before we get to our tier list, I got a top five for you. This is a new segment we're bringing in. Rona's top five.
1: Phil will agree with all of it.
0: I'm looking at players most likely to be traded.
1: Oh, okay. We'll
0: save the top five for this season. At number five, I have Giannis written down here. What? Only for fun. Because don't get me wrong, <laughs> I do not believe for a second that he will get
1: traded. Uh, just to stir the, the pot re-
0: during the regular season. It's just the fact that it's actually kind of in the air. That's that's literally it. Like there's no way he's getting traded during the regular season. That's that's not happening. It Doesn't matter how bad the books are doing. While the rest of their players are injured, and it's just Giannis and his two brothers out on the court. He he'll be. He'll stay with Milwaukee for it for throughout this season. And maybe I should show Buddy Healed in there instead. Obviously, apparently he's been he's on the trade market now as, as uh, extension talks broke down with the Pacers. So that could be an interesting one. Interesting one to keep an eye on. Number four, a guy we've talked about a lot, Pascal Siakam. I just think he's he's way ahead of the mm, team that yeah. he's currently on. And I think that a move is likely there. Number three is a bit a bit up in the air. Carl, Carl Anthony Towns. Tough, tough to say that it's going to happen, but you never know what what way the team works in the first few months of the season. That that's a that's a deal that could materialize. Then number two, obviously Damian Lillard, likely going to be going to the Miami Heat. But uh, rumors and talks over the last while is that the there's other teams trying to get a uh, trying to get into the trade talk, So it will be interesting to see where that goes. And then at number one, James Harden. I think he's the most likely to be traded because I think he is in. He's just created an untenable situation in Philly, and it would just be best for the 76ers to get rid of him. And that's why I think he's the most likely to be traded before the uh, before before the deadline. What do you think?
1: Dude, uh, so I'll I'll just I'll rifle off thoughts on that. So one, Giannis, the only way he gets traded is if he uh, demands a trade, and I think that happens more so next year. If if Giannis is traded. That's that's maybe next year if if there's another really bad run this year and he he demands a trade mm-hmm. um, that would be out of character for him but just the way it's progressed over the past couple of years and and the way that he's talked about it I, I think it's clear that that's that's on the table um, for Siakam we've talked about him a few times and I think that um, in a league today where anybody has a chance at winning um, there's not any favorites really all that's he's a guy like the perfect, perfect candidate on a team that is in between, um, not really contending, has too much talent, really needs to consolidate and a young guy at, at Siakam's position who they want to develop. Like that, that's the ideal. If, if I'm saying number one star who's going to get traded, it has to be him. Uh, uh, the obvious ones are, are Dame and, and Harden, but it just, it's so much harder to trade guys like that. Like they want to leave, but it's so hard to get a deal that makes sense. Siakam, I think there's a lot more ways it can make work with the assets that uh, that they have there. Um, think thinking about cat. I think the reason that he would get traded this season is if Anthony Edwards just takes that next big leap. Yeah. Anthony Edwards takes that next big leap, and it's clear on the floor that it's not because of cat. If cat kind of stays a little stagnant this year and defensively, it's still really not working out. I-, I think there's a world in which you know cat brings you back a lesser return, but if that means like um making your defense make sense making you uh, making uh the perimeter a, l- a lot stronger getting in some some true wings that can help out here like that would that would complement a, a rising star like anthony edwards it doesn't matter if cat's if a, a a really great shooting big man really really interesting player like it it would be all about ant so if, if he takes that next step i would expect that mm-hmm. damon harden who knows man it's like it i was texting you about this earlier that the fact that they have these new uh fines in place for players who are who are healthy but resting, and that just the minimum amount of games played. I haven't looked into the exact details, but essentially on day one, as they're not going to be playing, there's gonna be fines being thrown their way. Um, and there's zero movement on either front. So I don't know, do they play because they have to now? And if they play and they get hurt, then that just is like that would just be such a such a disaster for everybody involved. But I I'm sick of the, the Harden and, and the Dame talk. Cause it's just like, that's, that's the only thing anyone can talk about. And it's something that hasn't happened at all. And eventually, you know, I, I think we're going to be surprised with the team that they end up going to, because it's clear that in negotiations before, if, if not really come even close.
0: Yeah. I feel like, uh, like I, I put Harden at one and Dame at two, because I just feel like it's a bit more, realistic that Dame just accepts that there wasn't a, a, a good enough trade for Portland to make and he, he he continues to play there. I don't think he's burnt any bridges or he's too or he's too like angry or upset with any of the, the hierarchy or anything like that. He just believes that like he's in a position where he's in, has to win now and, and the team is kind of more in a rebuild mode, whereas Harden is kind of made the situation untenable. He clearly doesn't want to play there. He's clearly fed up with Daryl Morey and and the, the organization as a whole, as as James Harden uh, tends to, tends to do after a uh, after after a year or two. So I I think it's a, a bit more realistic that seven years go, right? We need to get this guy out of here, and they and they, they look to move uh, to move him on.
1: Where have a fantasy uh, scenario
0: for that. Come at me.
1: But like, but what what if what if Dame stays? Right, Dame stays and. Again, fantasy. Nobody take me seriously. This is this is just complete fantasy. Okay, like you're you're a Portland Trail Blazers fan. You're half asleep. You're thinking, how can we keep day? What yeah. if Jaden Sharp is just like an animal this year? Like, I I he's he's a guy who's hyper talented, and I'm not surprised if if I'm being realistic, it's not next year. Maybe the next three years. But sometimes the, there are guys out there that just have insane summers, and you don't see it coming because no one's talking about them, and then. That year they come and you're like, holy shit! Like, James Harden kind of had that glow up. Like he was like, oh wow, this is a really great like complimentary player to to Russ and Durant. Oh, he's really good. And it's like, oh my god, this guy is like a maybe. Shaden Sharp takes that jump. That's impossible. Not impossible. It's very unlikely. But I'm just thinking fantasy. Who knows? And then I don't know that that's a team too that that you you pull your asses together. You find a way to. So maybe you make a move with Anthony Simons, put together a package, you get a guy like Pascal Siakam, and then maybe you're rocking with the team that, that Dame's like, all right, fine. Like, this this is good. And Dame's playing. Shaden Sharp's playing really well. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, not, it's not unbelievable. I think I they – they if it, <laughs> Maybe it's if fantasy, it fantasy. Maybe it's genius. It, it could be. I mean, dude, the Western Conference is so crazy. Like, like all of a sudden, the, the Mavs are, are not there anymore. They're, they're a team that, that were knocking on the door for a championship. And then – you know, Grizzlies not having job like there's just uncertainty. And, and you know, you never know what little things come into play, who takes a job, who who stays committed, who doesn't. And, you know, to have a guy like Dame, that, that's the thing. It's That's the really hard and depressing thing is that to get a guy like Dame on your team is so hard,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so hard, so hard to find a talent like that. Um, and even more so for the 76ers, just to think about, losing harden here it, the it's not about harden it's about Embiid and just imagining how frustrated he must be and thinking big picture how frustrating it must be for that organization to have a decade of lo- of of the process to get to this point for it to crumble because you you ended up with James Harden speaking and of the that process this is the that, final that's thing. that's
0: that's another great book that uh, that, that uh, people should check out as a book uh... About the 76ers, about about the process. That's another, uh, that's another good read. If anyone's, any, anyone else look for for another book, they don't fancy ta- l- listen I'll to check it Jackson. Out. It's definitely definitely worth a read. But uh, I'll, I'll finish it off, and we'll finish off then with a tier list. We we were ready to do this last week or last time out, but we uh, we got a bit we got a bit delayed, so we weren't able to. We're going to be doing a tier list of players. That were one season wonders one hit wonders the players that had that moment where we thought oh my god this is a superstar in the making and just never fulfilled on it so we're going to be ranking them based off how good we thought they were going to be when they were in that that elite moment that elite season mm-hmm. that elite stretch then mm. so we got E A B C Chris you got who's who's the, who's the first guy you got for me Hold
1: on, Hold on. E A B C Oh, put oh, anyone oh, down, oh elite. Know. I keep forgetting you go elite. Cause I'm I'm like, I'm like, hold on. All right. I don't know my ABCs very well right now. <laughs> We're starting off with E. So who are we starting now? I'll just throw a name out there for you. Um, one guy that I think of, and this is, this is injury related. This is not as confounding as some other guys who just never made it, but Brandon Roy, Ooh. Brandon Roy is a guy that, um, just he used one of the first players that I, I started to watch actually, um, and the, like, the magic he would have at the end of games, like one of the best closers in the league at such a young age, rookie of the year, all-star the year after, and just one of the best scorers in the league. And the injuries obviously took him out. But if we're talking about who we thought was going to be a superstar, I'm absolutely throwing him the elite category because I thought he had potential to be a top 12, top 15 player his whole career.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah no he was definitely an interesting one he was one that that was a real a real big disappointment i think when you saw the the flashes what even even as a rookie and you and you saw him play and you really believed that there was a there was a superstar just waiting to break out injuries obviously played the part but uh, in terms of the the initial stretch when you first saw him i think there was definitely the belief there that there was a at very minimum a Uh, A few time all star in there, so yeah, I think I think E E tier. I think that's fair. I think that's a that's a fair uh, a fair judgment for him. I'll go for a a classic, a a one that the Knicks fans are gonna love. We got to we got to give him some love here. (laughs) Okay, Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity. That that seven game stretch. My God, he he was close to being cut, and then he's starting in the team, leads them on that seven game win streak, and looks absolutely unbelievable. Maybe not quite an uh, an E tier, but. That, that stretch really had you believe in that. This is a, this is a guy who could definitely be a, a piece on a on a team that are competing.
1: Yeah, I would say – so, I mean, if we're, if we're just, like, defining these terms, like, I would say E, like, bonafide superstar. Like, they, they should have been there. Like, A is, like, like all-star a few times, several times. B, maybe a couple times, but, like, definitely a competing piece. And C is just, like, really, really good player. I, I mean, I would put – I wouldn't think that he would have made – a lot of all star games. I would put him in the B tier, but that's no mm-hmm. disrespect. I, I really thought that like Lynn was going to be an answer to what the Knicks really needed to really take the next step with with Melo and, and the way just he was competing and like bringing life to this. It, it felt like the Knicks did not have life. And obviously, Lynn's career did not have life at that time, just barely hanging on. And then that would have, that should have been such like a amazing story. And it, it unfortunately didn't have the end that, you know, you wanted it to. But yeah, that in terms of story-wise that that's an elite story just like i, I watched yeah. his uh documentary too just where, where he was at just just that's like just like working out at, at ymcas and just like barely being recognized by anybody just having absolutely no opportunity and just the most random random uh string of events just brought him to such a crazy like one hit one like truly one hit wonder and that's no yeah. disrespect yeah. his career as a whole because he, he played some some solid minutes as a role player but um, you really thought that hey, this is this is the next point guard. This is the mm-hmm. next point guard, really. But then I got one here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll I'll uh switch from a guard to, to a big. This one, I, I'm really curious how you're gonna react to this because when I when I thought of this name, it it just blew my mind because it just was a few years ago that I thought Roy Hibbert was gonna be like where Rudy Gobert is today. Like Roy Hibbert was a guy that was giving you know the Miami Heat problems. He was a guy that was part of the the Indiana Pacers being like the best, one of the best defenses in the league, one of the best uh, rim protectors in the league, if not the best. And Roy Hibbert, and a guy also who had uh, an inside game. He was very few guys. I mean, imagine like a a Rudy Gobert who's able to to play down at the low post has has actual touch, can take a a short range shot, face up a little bit. Like he really had such a classic big man game, but. Where did he go? Like, yeah. had a couple all stars and then just disappeared, yeah. completely disappeared. Did not adapt to the modern game.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting where where, where his uh, was here, his career went. I don't think he's quite in the E tier now. I would uh, like to say he's a B plus, but I guess we maybe we, we slip him. Would we slip him into the A? Would he would he slide in there?
1: I would. He, he's really close and I I think the reason I would give him an A is because of of what he did. Um, you know, in the playoffs too, and, and against the best competition when it really mattered, and that he did it for a couple seasons, to a few seasons, and I think just looking at an impact of a guy like Rudy Gobert, who I think the reason that you can't really compare those two is because Rudy is is can defend a little bit on the perimeter, can move around, he has a bit more motor, a lot more athletic, and that that's why a guy like Gobert can survive in a, a league like this that has gone so much further to positionless basketball. But it he's he's such an example. Roy Hibbert is such an example. And and same thing with uh with the guys like Blake Griffin and and guys like Jaleel Okafor, guys like Jabari Parker, just just name guys who, you know, if they were drafted in two thousand two, would have been would have had a nice long career, like instantly. Like the mm-hmm. the the whole movement in the two thousand teens, like um that like guys like Hibbert just really got phased out, just couldn't play.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I got an interesting next one for you. This is a guy that, that as a rookie, really looked like he was he was legit. Tyreek Evans.
1: Yes, yes, I have him here, yes. Yeah. Rookie,
0: rookie of the year, 25 and 6, then 1.5 steals in, in his rookie year. He really looked like he was going to be a legit, a legit player in this league. Out, from that, moving on from that, zero All-Stars and zero All-NBAs, just four starts in the playoffs, and he was out of the league at age 30. But man, when I was watch, watching his rookie year, you really thought that this was a a building piece. It was it was a really a really swift uh, downfall for him. Mm-hmm. Where where would you put him? What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I think Tyreek Evans. Um, I I first of all, I'll I'll put him. Ah, uh, it's uh, I'm I'm gonna put i want to put him in the A tier. I'm not going to put him in the E tier. And this is why I think there's a learning lesson to have be had from a player like him, um, just in terms of like scouting. And when we look at younger players and, and we look at flashes like this, like um, I think he had such a classic, like unbelievable rookie year, but the, when, when we talk about how players are going to get better, like it's so unpredictable. And I think for such a raw player like him, he actually had a lot further to go than we realized like the, the lack of playmaking, the, the lack of, of outside shooting, the, the lack of, of moves to get to a mid range shot. Like really he had was slashing. He was such an unbelievable slasher, but for, for guys who are as le- athletic as him and as strong as him to be able to get to the rim, like that's a very limited skill. Mm-hmm. And when you just assume that guys like him, it's like, wow, he's so good at this. All he has to do is this. And then just add a little bit of that. And that takes time. It takes years. And, and when you start to see that, players like that are not able to add it. I, I think that's a good lesson in, in scouting that, you know, a lot of players are a long way away from being a complete good player and it takes a lot for for them to make a jump like that, even if you have a, a flash. And I, I think the second thing that actually shows when you think about where the kings were at that point in time, maybe Tyreek Evans could have become a complete player. But for a guy who was put into a system where you know, it was very toxic, and, and your star and Demarcus Cousins wasn't a leader in that point of time. And I, I don't know if you ever can say he was, um, but just not a, a kind of locker room guy that you, you want to put a young player next to as a co star. And no coaching leadership, no vision as to what kind of player they wanted him to be. Is he a point guard? Is he a wing? Is he a shooting guard? Is he a second? Like, he never had consistency in that regard. So, what is he supposed to work on in the offseason? I, I think when you don't have stability in a team, um, a guy like Tyreek Evans, he just has no chance. So it, it's 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 a big what if. I, I don't think he necessarily made the most of his. He could have he could have been something, really. I mean that mm. with the talent that he had, but I don't know if it's that situation, if it's nature or nurture. But the nurture certainly certainly wasn't there, and uh, you know it's hard for a player to grow uh, into a complete player into a in a difficult environment, which is why a guy like Anthony Edwards, a guy like Lamelo Ball um it's, it's a little precarious but maybe you're just a different kind of player if a guy like anthony owens is able to add to his game is able to become a three-point shooter so got guys maybe that's a maybe i'd put him in the e-tier kind of if he if he showed that despite his situation he could grow into um an elite player but just never happened
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think that's fair
1: i got um a similar player who had who you know i, I don't want to say is a one-hit wonder Victor Oladipo, I mean, he has a long career and he's still playing right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I think what what
1: really yeah, and and he's kind of in that Brandon Roy situation where I, I felt like he finally got to, you know, he's he's starting to grow in OKC. And then once he gets to the Pacers, like it's like he blossomed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He blossomed, and you're like, wait, this is this is like this is an, like a bona fide all-star. Um, and that's that was just his first taste of really being. The guy and really like having everything put together like his skill set was fully put together as a playmaker as a mid-range shooter as a as a shooter from the perimeter I mean as and as a defender like one of the most tenacious defenders in the league so just that that combination of of defensive tenacity and ability and that his offensive game had fully been realized for that to be taken away by injury I, I feel like I want to put him in the E tier cuz he felt like he was putting himself as like one of the like best two-way players. Um top 5 two-way two guard in the league.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely have him in, in the E tier. Like when he had that that year, I think it was 2017-18, uh, he's 26 years old. He's averaging 23-5 and 4. He led the league in steals with 2.4. Even shot thirty seven percent from three that year, and yeah. he took that LeBron James Cavaliers team. He was leading that Pacers team. He yeah. took them to seven games. Yep. It really looked like that was the first stepping stone toward him being a multi time All Star guy who's going to lead the Pacers team into the next into the next ten years and, and and really be like reach a similar level to what they did when when Paul George was the guy there. Like that. That's how it felt in that moment. Obviously, didn't come to fruition. Injuries have played a a, a big part, but. He's definitely E tier because what he did in that in that time, he he really did look like uh, one of the one of the next elite guards in in the league.
1: Yeah, so it, th- that's that's one guy you think about. That that's really, uh, it's a shame for the league to lose a guy like him. Uh, I mean, he's still obviously there, in the Heat, but um, I I, I have a fun one now, saying he?
0: he's injured again now, isn't
1: he? Yeah, dude, he it's it's another it's another uh, quad injury. Um, you know it's uh, yeah that's tough. But uh, staying on the Pacers, I got a fun one. We have three Pacers actually. So many what? So many what ifs, um, you know. Um, And we didn't even throw Greg Oden there. Um, That would have been two two Blazers, and we have three Pacers. Do you know who I'm about to say (laughs) for Pacers?
0: No, no. Who you got? You think of it. I feel like I know once you say it, but in my mind now, I'm I'm blanking here.
1: Lance. Really, Land Stevenson. Land Stevenson. I mean? Okay, I'm I'm saying so. If you look at his stats, obviously it, it's not like the craziest year yet, but in in uh 13 14, um the year before he went to Charlotte, he was just going out like he was having 30 point games. Um, I think he had a 40 point game sprinkled in there, blowing in LeBron's ear the bronze year before that. Like he had, he had just a lot of flashes of I'm about to be next. He had a lot of flashes. I'm about to be next, especially in times when Paul, Paul George is hurt, you know, he's going out there and being the guy and really showing flashes of, of having that, that offensive flair. Like he had a, such a flair to the game that not a lot of players have. He, he, he has a flair to him that, you know, that, that star potential type of guy. And when, once he finally got an opportunity, his third, fourth year, um, he started to put it together. You know, he, he had the, the playmaking the vision. He had the the shooting, he had the the dribbling, he had the flair. I don't know. He it, he felt like a guy who was having his moment, and that once he went to Charlotte, you know, not everyone thought he was gonna make it there, but people thought like, oh, okay, and now he has his own team, like he's about to do something here, and it just completely fell flat in his face. Like I, I think people thought that he would become at least like a twenty point per game scorer kind of guy, because he he gave he gave me kind of, you know, kind of vibes like a Jordan Pool, like where he's he's on a really good team but like he's just a complimentary piece to that team and then but he has his own moments when when he gets a chance so all right you throw him on a team by himself he's gonna really pop off but i i think i think i'm bringing up a guy that i would have thought would have made at least a couple all-star games I i would put him in a c tier i didn't think he was gonna be a superstar but i i thought he had i thought he had something in the tank
0: yeah i think i think c tier is probably probably fair there i think uh and you mentioned him like it was a lot of talk. I mean, he, he said the right things kind of put that in your mind as well. That kind of think that uh, he, could, he could be that guy. He he did. He did have some flashes, no doubt. But when the fact that he just fell on his fl- uh, flat, on his face, when, when he had that opportunity to really go and be, be that guy, that kind of, that kind of brings it down there. But he was definitely a, an interesting one. I I, I like that you, I like that you brought him up. I kind of forgot about Lance Stevenson over the last while, but he's definitely, definitely a very, uh, a very interesting piece. But I think the seat here is a, it's probably yeah. fair. I I got two more on my list. I think I'll only name one of them. One of them I have Isaiah Thomas, but let's be honest, that was just injuries killed that uh, guy. So I don't, yeah, I don't I mean, even want to. I don't even want to rank him. He like injuries just destroyed him, and it, uh, it was very sad. But that year he had sixteen, seventeen with the Celtics. He was absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. The the outside one I've got. one you might not remember, but you remember Ryan Anderson, Orlando Magic most improved player in uh, twenty twelve. Yeah, you remember that? That, that, that,
1: that, that, No, I do remember Ryan Anderson, but where where did we think he was going?
0: I mean, never going to be that superstar, but definitely going to be a piece that a championship team would want. He was averaging 16 and 8, shooting 39% from 3, making 2.7 a game. Then he, after that year, he joins a Pelicans team that doesn't even reach the playoffs and things just start to deteriorate, a few injuries and that, and it just goes downhill, but... In that that year when he won the most improved player, you are really like okay, this guy is going to be a, a really important piece in this in the modern game as a as a as a floor spacer, as a as a like a probably a third a third option as a scorer, a solid rebounder for his position. He's probably in the in the similar realm of a Lance Stevenson, but he's definitely one that I thought was going to do a lot more with his career after he had that that most improved be game. like
1: a I, yeah, I definitely thought he was going to be kind of like a like a diet a diet kevin love
0: yeah yeah, you know yeah
1: like um and and that was in a time too where where it's interesting like stretch bigs became like a really hot commodity and then like a few years in then it's like oh okay now we got stretch bigs who are also wings and can defend both positions and we don't need guys like like ryan anderson Mm -hmm. you know like it's the league moves so fast in that way um, I mean, if you're going to throw Ryan Anderson, why don't we throw Chandler Parsons out there, too? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're going you know, the to- most
0: improved player. There you go. Hold on. He's, he's, a, he's an all rookie.
1: 2011, 2012. You got a fat, fat contract from Dallas. I mean, they thought he was going somewhere, but
0: the first time
1: we'll. Any any yeah. more C C players we want to put out there? Oh, oh. Ryan oh, Anderson oh. is my
0: only C my only C guy that I got there. You got you want to finish it off? You got to show one more one more thing there?
1: I, I got one more that just came to my head. Yeah, one one more. Uh Jeff Green. Jeff Green on the Celtics. He had like a couple in those random lost years of the Celtics. He had like a couple years where you're like, Wait, is, is he is he like gonna become like something more than this? Like cause like at his size too, like he was just that that classic perfect like wing size or he's like six to eight can defend like two through four and has some like on ball ability can really fly above the rim shoot the three they're like okay like he has like all these all these talent and plus he can defend a guy like lebron james like he you, you put him on on possessions against lebron james and he's a guy that actually has the size and the defense to do it but he, he's a kind of player um that I liken to like a Patrick Williams when I'm thinking about it, like just right off the cuff. Cause like as a, as a younger guy, as kind of a guy you're giving more time to when, when they show those, those talents, it's like, all right, is, is this just the beginning or is this kind of where it ends? And I think for some players it's kind of where it ends you just kind of stay a role player. But for, for, for a guy, when you see a guy at that size have that level of versatility um, I, I think that makes, that made me think like, okay, this is going to be, like two, three-time all-star. I'll I'll give you another C-tier guy because yeah, I, I, I thought think, Jeff I think Green had, put, some, I think had a put him in tier at,
0: at least he's one of B-tier, okay. I mean, he, he's gone I, oh, on to fair, have a Yeah, I, I got to put him
1: over Land Stevenson. Yeah, he's he's a bit more serious. He, he, he's gone. On, sure.
0: He's gone on to have a a bit of a, 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 a successful career. He just never really popped as a kind of the as as an individual. But in terms of career-wise, he's definitely uh he definitely he definitely edges into the B-tier. But I think I think that that'll close it out. That was a. Uh, that was interesting. You, you look, you think back on some of these guys. You think what, what, what might have been there? The, the, the story of what might have been that tier list, But uh, definitely, definitely, a few guys there that uh, I wish I could see have injury-free careers, like Roy, like Oladipo, See yeah. what would have happened there. And prayers up for Aladipo. Hopefully, he can get back to some yeah. sort of level where he's not just always injured and actually able to have ha- actually able to have an impact on the team. But, yeah.
1: I- I have to call you out real quick before we finish. Like I'm, I'm surprised that you didn't put Jr. Smith out there as a, as a Nick.
0: Nah, I mean, maybe, but Jr. Smith was never going to be the guy. He was always going to, he was going to be. For me, I think he was always going to be what he was. He, he was a really, a really good, a really solid role player on a team that are looking to win it all. And obviously, he got, he got his ring. He was there with LeBron in a. In Cleveland, talented player, no doubt. But I don't. I think he was always gonna be what he was gonna be for In my
1: eyes, I think that's fair. Henny God was just gonna be a. Uh, uh, I mean, he's he's a guy that I always think when like you think about when we talk about uh, like what if like this player had this mentality, like dude, he he could have been. I I think he was like one of the most tap like truly talented players in the league, like just sheer talent, pure talent, like without drive, like J R Smith, like that guy could do it at all insanely fun 2k player at the least
0: yeah that, that, we'll we'll definitely we can we can definitely give him that <laughs> but uh i think i think that's gonna do it for today's episode uh thanks so much for listening my thanks to chris for joining me the first episode recorded with both of us in the united states and maybe pretty soon we'll get an episode where we're actually together and we'll actually record together maybe that could be yeah. on the on the card soon we'll, enough but we'll at least do one with
1: real wi-fi that that will be good
0: there you go. There, that's moment. the plus. And apologies <laughs> if there was any any breaks or anything missed here. But uh, unfortunately, I'm working without Wi-Fi at the moment. But don't worry. It, it, it will get better, I promise. So yeah. thanks so much for listening. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, like, subscribe, follow. We are everywhere at Coast to Coast NBA. And most importantly, remember to take every shot and love every moment.